lovely to see you all. Thank you for having me to come and speak today. Um, today I'm sharing part of what is a larger research project for the DPROF in Practical Theology at Chester. My title for that is How Do Baptists Discern the Mind of Christ at the Church Meeting? And I've completed a qualitative study of four Baptist churches here in London. Uh, I've observed each church meeting and then interviewed two members and a minister from each of those four churches. Then by using an in vivo coding method and then a secondary axial coding method, I've analysed the transcripts of each interview and my field notes. And the dominant themes of the thesis are conflict, participation and wisdom. And uh, my discovery is that wisdom is slow, just like the Piccadilly line was for me this morning. Harry is a well-educated, middle-aged white man who is a solicitor and partner of his firm. Strikingly confident and clear in his manner, he welcomed me into his 1930s semi uh, with ease. Our interview took place in the front room which was overflowing with board games, books, records, and numerous collectible antiques in glass display cabinets dotted around the room. After sharing a lemon and ginger herbal infusion, Harry told me of his passion for liberal Christianity and his deep and long-serving commitment to Jarman Baptists. When I asked him what does discernment include, he looked rather wistful and said, Damascus Road, that would be wonderful in a way, wouldn't it? By the way, all the names have been changed to protect the innocent, of course. So Acts 9 says this, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? The Damascus Road account of the conversion of Saul in Acts 9 is a popular description of what discernment is like. Damascus discernment is when we are blinded by light and startled by a booming voice from heaven. And the effect of such an encounter with God is that the way forward is crystal clear for those who experience revelation in the Damascus style. This revelation on the road is an all-consuming bodily experience and one that left Saul in no doubt as to what God wanted him to do. The narrative describes a place on a road where a human divine encounter occurs. And we can call these axi-mundi or seats of relations or a place of meeting between God and the world, and that's from John Inge, or a thin place in Celtic spirituality, Walter or Robinson can say these places are a physical location where the membrane between this world and the reality beyond is especially thin, where a transcendent reality impinges on the imminent. Harry yearns for discernment that reveals a transcendent reality impinging on the imminent. However, he knows this is wishful thinking for a church meeting. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? The received knowledge of what discernment is like from scripture is different to the lived reality of the practice of discernment. What does discernment include? I asked again to Fiona and Nell, each from different churches to Harry. Fiona said, I don't expect, aha, that's it, and clicked her finger, which I can't do, but clicked it and pointed up to the ceiling. And Nell likewise said, discernment is not written in the sky. 
Sometimes we verbalise our thoughts, sometimes we can link them to scripture like Harry did, and sometimes just a physical gesture helps us to unpack what it might mean to know something. Each of these three Baptist church members talk about or gesture to the sky when they're asked about discernment. Harry yearned that the sky would resound with the sound of God's voice, but knew that that didn't normally happen in his church meeting. Fiona and Nell both indicate that discernment might have a connection with uh, above the earth. Anthropologist um, Iliad argues that in the Davidic era, way back in the mists of biblical era, theophany or revelation occurs in high places like mountains where images of opening in the sacred enclosure are seen, communication with the gods is made possible, hence there must be a door to the world above whereby gods can descend to earth and man can symbolically ascend to heaven. Iliad illuminates part of the connection between the sky and revelation and indicates a belief that there is a stairway to heaven from earth in special places or special events when we hear God speak. This idea of revelation affects the way Baptists understand discernment even today. For as Nell and Fiona say, discernment is not like that either. How easy was it for people to say what it is not? Discernment is not written in the sky. It is not based on the belief that God speaks in an immediate fashion or in a particular place to those who seek him. The lived experience of practical discernment at a church meeting is identified as different, for discernment is slow. No blinding light, no audible voice, no burning bush, no divine ladder. Not immediate, but slow. The experience of discernment is known to be different to the biblical account of Revelation on Damascus Road and different to historic understandings of how God speaks to humanity from above in particular places. It's different because it's slow. The Baptist discernment practice happens within the church meeting, within its particular schedules, agendas, and its aim for consensus. And all of this means it is slow. However, slow is not bad or second rate. It is just slow. There is a slow wisdom among us Baptists that we can rightly acknowledge, celebrate, and share. Discernment is slow firstly because of the schedule of meetings and the time at which it takes to discuss agenda items. Nell said to me, you wouldn't expect decisions to be made at that meeting because it takes time, doesn't it? And Fiona, I expect it to unfold in time because I can see a pattern, a pattern emerging of raising up, putting it out there, giving it time, people having gone away, and it's not a surprise. Discernment is slow because an item is outlined at a church meeting, returned to again to allow members time to pray and think, hopefully, and then come back and discuss again. Meetings are typically bi-monthly, and the meeting itself, the schedule, creates time lag. Colin is a member of Coleman Baptist Church. By the way, I've named all of the churches after influential women when I was writing this thesis. That was the centenary year, so you can uh, guess which women uh, they are. Uh, so Colin is a member of Coleman Baptist Church and has been a member of three different Baptist churches. He's a very particular man and has very particular expectations about timescales for discernment. Uh, 
when I observed the Coleman Baptist Church meeting, there was an agenda item where they were going to sell a rental property owned by the church. He said of this discussion, One wouldn't expect a decision on a subject like that to be made at the next church meeting. You'd have thought it would be carried over, unless the trustees have a firm set of suggestions and recommendations to make, which um, the church meeting as a whole in, is in broadly in agreement with. Otherwise, it would need to be held over to another meeting. Colin recalls the property item which was discussed at the observed meeting. He didn't expect the decision to be made till the next um, five months. The process of discerning together regarding a decision like selling a property is expected to be revealed slowly as the meetings occur. The timescale for each decision is discerned and generated by the nature of the agenda item, the trustees view and achieving consensus. Fiona, Nell and Colin's expectations about time and agenda items are interesting to me. For these expectations, and each of them said, I expect, are all about the practice of discernment. And I suggest these expectations display a form of Christian practical wisdom. For Dorothy Bass, Christian practical wisdom is seen in communities where, and I quote, it shows up in a kind of good judgment they are able to put into play in a particular time and place, sometimes as if by second nature. Such particular wisdom is known as phrenesis, which means um, what sort of things promote living well in general. And that, of course, is based on Aristotle's understanding of wisdom as accruing over time through experience in the world and is exemplified by good deliberation. Bass summarises that wisdom is deeply located in time and place and in the res is responsible to act rightly there, while at the same time responds to an eternal and universal God. The practice of discernment is located in the church meeting where church members of the church are asked to pray and consider what the Lord might be saying to the congregation. The wisdom of our Baptist practice is that the schedule for discernment is slow. Secondly, discernment is slow because consensus and comfort are seen as indicators of genuine discernment wisdom at a church meeting. Consensus is prized for reducing risk uh, of the rejection of a new idea, and great comfort is received by all that this surely must be, if we have consensus, the Lord leading if the church is of one mind, Acts 4, 2 Corinthians 13, Philippians 2. Barbara is a white, retired female member at Jarman Baptist Church. When we met, she had glamorously tinted and set hair, fully made up, and was wearing an extraordinarily crisply ironed pink shirt, and her gold and heavily adorned charm bracelet clunked against the glow pack table that we were given in the most anonymous church meeting room I've ever seen. Barbara, however, was the most animated when recounting the tale of calling a previous minister to the church, which she'd been involved in when she was the church secretary. There'd been one candidate, Peter, who had accepted the position and then changed his mind. Barbara says, Then the church meeting agreed to call another candidate, Tony. So I phoned him that night, and he said that he was also thinking he'd been asked to go to a church nearer to where he lived, which would mean no upheaval, the boys would stay in the same school and everything. 
Oh, and I prayed. How I prayed. And then he changed his mind and he decided to come to us. And that was, so we had chosen someone and they hadn't chosen us and we were disappointed. And then we felt exonerated because we had made the wrong decision and then made the right decision. And Tony came and it all fell into place. Yes, I definitely felt the mind of Christ in that, definitely. The sermon at Jarman Baptist for Barbara was not straightforward. She describes this early rushed appointment, which she was not content with, and then a longer process with a second candidate with an urgency of prayer and the sense of comfort when the second minister arrived and it all fell into place. Likewise, Colin, my favorite Colin, expressed a sign of discernment as, I felt entirely comfortable about a decision that had been made. Feeling comfortable with a decision is an important part of slow wisdom. Bass argues that the embodiment of knowledge has been historically marginalised as irrelevant. Mind over matter has ruled. Bonnie Miller-McLemore states that the impetus for practical theology now is to honour and articulate wisdom and embodied knowledge. Feelings are important. I argue that the church meeting discernment process is marginalised um, in favour of expert opinion or strong leadership ideas. Our sense of comfort is marginalised. However, I would say that this sense of comfort is valuable because it reclaims a practical engagement with knowledge held by members of our churches within the Baptist discernment process. Consensus and comfort are markers of discernment and indicate valuable embodied knowledge as part of slow wisdom that must not be pushed aside. Discernment is not based on scriptural images or dramatic revelation, nor do members perceive immediate or audible direction from God. Instead, Baptistic discernment offers a slow wisdom embodied in the faithful schedule of meetings at regular intervals with patterns for difficult agenda items. Consensus and comfort of all members are valuable indicators for an embodied knowledge, enabling a slow wisdom to emerge as discernment. Thank you.
at the moment isn't clear. I don't know what I'm being clear. Uh, we've got church on... Um... <laughs> Thank you, as long as you quote me. Um, slow wisdom doesn't mean nothing. Slow wisdom just means that you need to take care in listening to the congregation. And the parts, obviously this is a tiny part of a thesis, and part of what I've analysed in terms of conflict is that a natural result of conflict is inertia. And when churches get frozen in a pattern of inertia because they're so afraid of making decisions, it's as detrimental as conflict. Um, so slow wisdom is about appreciating the valuable processes that we do have and articulating them, and then actually being able to share them to other people who've joined our church so they can participate in the processes that we have. Quite a lot of what I uncovered were um, people from other denominations not taking part in church meetings because they don't understand the importance of it. The demographic of church meetings means that younger people don't think there's anything important in it too. And part of that is because we're not sharing the thing that is good, which is the wisdom that we have to make decisions in a healthy way. Feelings and wisdom. What about the tension between when two people feel very strongly on different sides of a particular issue? Um, can both people be wise, even though their, their, their thought with which they feel is right might be on the opposite? Mm. So some of the things that I've talked about in the second part of an indicator of wisdom is consensus. So where you have two people at oppositional positions, um, there is a certain knowledge held by each person, obviously, uh, but the wisdom comes from a consensus. And that doesn't mean that everybody needs to vote the same way, but that everybody needs to have an assurity that this is the right way forward. And that might take time. And actually, if you have people that are oppositional, you have to work with those people and understand the sources of the knowledge that they're sharing. That's more of a pastoral response, but uh, there you go. You talk about the harm that having experts can do in that it sometimes sidelines that slow wisdom of the congregation. But how do you see a positive role for expertise in the congregation in making particular decisions? How can they take part without sidelining that slow wisdom? I think if people test an expert opinion, it's useful and don't assume it's the be all and end all. And you see it, I saw it in more wealthy suburban churches use expert opinion more broadly than smaller churches. So um, one example was a child protection matter and there were obviously three people from education who all put up their hands and started blathering on about particular methods of reporting which weren't related to the church's policy. But because they were the experts in the room, everyone thought, well, that's what we should do. And actually they were impractical and they weren't hearing the person who had to implement the policy um, and actually trying to use the world's knowledge entirely 
as the church's knowledge and wisdom source when it wasn't appropriate in that time. I often say to people, if you want to discern what God is saying, then we need to practice waiting on God day by day, individually and with others, meditating on scripture rather than simply accepting and analysing it. What a comment. Yeah, uh, an absolute dominant theme across the interviews was that everyone said we should do more prayer that we don't. But we don't. I love your use of the word comfortable. Uh, and I guess I'm just reflecting whether a comfortable position is still not necessarily a right position. I'm thinking of some of the justice issues that are rolling at the moment where a congregation might be comfortable in its position but actually needs to become discomforted. Um, in order to, to, to move forward. I love the use of the word. I'm just struggling to know how we ever bring a challenge into that situation. So all of those words come from the transcripts themselves. They're not words that I've made up. Um, and being comfortable and having comfort, I think, are different things. Um, so I'd say that. Um, the comfort that people have is a sense of knowing within their body, which is an embodied, proper knowledge, as argued from liberation theology and beyond, that there is a sense that some things we know up here, some things we know here, and actually, even if it's a revolutionary idea, we can have comfort that it's the right thing to do, even if it is uncomfortable. Um, and there is also a, a depressingly small section of the transcripts that talk about prophetic words and prophetic speaking, where uncomfortable things are said, but they're in a minority. Um, so um, critical voices aren't typically heard at church meetings. And, and as this is a qualitative study, I have to report what I find. Um, and, and my question would be that how we can, my hope would be that we can foster more spaces where prophetic voices can speak and we can hear critical voices that we can have comfort in, but not necessarily be comfortable with. I was just wondering how the idea of school wisdom plays out in terms of some of the realities that you encounter as a church in the modern world. So when it comes to purchasing a building, we need to move relatively quickly. Addressing a deficit where you have to make decisions quickly. Uh, or, or even any element of crises within the life of a church. And, and I mean, often urgency and crises are great movers within Baptist churches for facilities. I think of my sort of top 10 tips that I hope that I'm going to produce at the end, one would be um, is that um, I don't think you need to discern everything. I think it's foolish to say that you can discern everything because there are sometimes decisions trustees have to make. Like when the boiler breaks, no one needs to discern that that needs to be fixed. Yeah? You will know that. As good pastors and people in Baptist churches, no one puts that on an agenda for three months' time, do they? Do they? No? No. Okay, good. Um, so, yeah, so there's an immediate thing. But interestingly, the only time where critical voices in discernment I saw were heard were in times of crisis. 
where the church was genuinely on its knees, particularly one church that was had a massive ministerial fallout and all the normal voices had spoken. And then finally, thank the Lord, one person who doesn't say anything normally said something quite normal, but it was prophetic and it turned the meeting on a fulcrum. And that's where I think discernment comes when we need it the most. But that's a practice that is not used once, but cultured over time. And I think our churches embody that wisdom and we know how to do it, but perhaps it's proved most in crisis. Um, sorry, there, there are two things that I, I'm wondering about. Um, one is, what about the discernment that happens outside of meetings and how we get that back into the meeting? Um, and the other is, meeting has a very work context as well, and how do we guard against that falling into kind of work formats and, and an intellectual kind of way of being? Okay. Um, discernment outside the church meeting there is starting to be a practice where particularly larger churches will ask a committee to go away and think about an area and then bring their decision back to the church meeting and then the church meeting says, that's fine. Um, and I think particularly I'd be quite critical of that process. Yeah, that's not quite what I mean. I mean, there's this process that particularly if you're looking at classic thinking, prophetic voices, it's not necessarily going to be conveniently happening and writing the meeting now. And if someone's got something, how do you make sure that's being captured and then bringing it into the meeting? Well, that's always about good facilitation and asking every person to speak. Um, and the Baptist theme of that, of course, is the priesthood of all believers. And so part of that is enabling every person to speak, hearing every person into speech and, and making that a priority for church meetings. Um, and your second part of your question, remind me, would you? Oh, the word meeting. Um, that's what everyone calls it, the church meeting. Um, and interestingly, there was only one person out of the 12 people that I interviewed that talked about business. Um, everybody else was quite happy with it as a meeting that needed to happen. Um, so we work with the term that we have. Um, well, what do you see as being the significance of trust, trustful relationships? in being a help towards discernment together or, or a barrier to it. Because mm. relationships aren't trustful. You stay in opposition. You don't really listen to each other or respect each other. Yeah. Um, trust wasn't a key theme that came out of the interviews, but issues of power were, and how, particularly how members relate to each other. Uh, there's quite a, a strong body of data that talks about how um, members become a bit power hungry and vote in block and, and where, where situations like that have happened where, and that's historic, generally that's sort of 20 years past um, but where that's happened, churches that have successfully engaged with that have facilitated discussions in different ways so that trust is restored I um, wrote something about church meeting about years ago and was really struck when I did it that so little study had been done and nothing ethnographically. I'm really, really glad that you're doing it with it so well, so thank you.